Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and with me today is my co-host Norman Horn and our occasional co-host Jason Rink. Jason, you haven't been on in a while. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, man. I miss you guys. I uh, Yeah, we miss you too. I, I don't know when the last time I was on the show, but I'm pretty sure it was like back in the 20s episodes probably. So... We're we're now recording what is you know uh, what episode eighty six, yeah. So it's 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 likely been more than a year for sure. So yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. So you you actually were at a at a conference a couple weeks ago. So right now this episode is going to air in like September of twenty eighteen. And so back in August you were part of a conference, the Texas Marijuana Policy Conference, uh, which was on August eleventh, and you were one of the members of a breakout panel that were talking about the integration of faith and cannabis use. And you were there actually representing uh, LCI, right? Yeah. So actually, uh, Heather Fazio reached out to Norman. And Norman uh, gave me the opportunity to represent here in Austin where the conference was happening. So that was really great. And, uh, you know, Heather's doing great work, by the way, in this space. She's She's been uh, really committed to this cause for a while. Um, and so it was cool to be representing the intersection of, of faith and cannabis and like where – do Christians fit in this whole discussion? Like, how can we reconcile what we believe about our faith and, and morality and the law and, you know, sort of make that congruent with the changing landscape around, you know, new science that's coming out about medicinal cannabis, the changing laws, uh, recreational. So I was uh, on a panel with three other panelists and uh, actually, surprisingly, I spoke probably the least, which is not the usual situation <laughs> when I'm participating in anything. But uh, the other three panelists were just tremendous. Uh, great stories, what they're up to. And so I thought that this talk would make for a really good podcast episode uh, for us to just sort of listen to the content and then weigh in with some comments and thoughts and um, I know that when I shared that I was going to be on this uh, panel, I had a lot of people interested in on social media to hear it, uh, wondering what was discussed. So I'm looking forward to getting this out into the world. Excellent. So, yeah, as you kind of heard there, uh, what we're going to do is play some of the audio from the conference. We're not going to play every little bit of it, basically going to kind of cut out the intro so Jason can kind of introduce to us who, who he was on panel with. And then we'll come back in a little bit for commentary and discussion. So uh, last year, we actually did this with our Christians for Liberty conference where we like played a session and we kind of interjected our own thoughts and, and discussion and kind of use that as a bouncing point. 
So we're going to do that again this time. Yeah. And, and let me just tee this up a little bit to say who's all on the panel. So um, the listeners, you can just kind of hear who to expect is going to be going to be speaking. So I was on the panel and I am representing essentially uh, a libertarian Christian perspective. Also, I was bringing to it uh, my past almost ancient history now of when I was uh, a Baptist pastor for three years. So I had that that more fundamentalist background, uh, and I've gone through this journey of, of now being a libertarian Christian. So I was bringing that, um, and I was sort of setting the stage, as I felt, for the entire conversation. Uh, then uh, we were joined by uh, a woman named Amy Lou Falwell, who's the co-founder of an organization called uh, MAMA, which is Mothers Advocating Medical Marijuana for Autism. Um, Then after that, there was a guy named uh, Reverend Rick Sitton, who's a senior pastor of the First United Methodist Church of Bryan, Texas. And then Reverend Al Sharp, who is the executive director of Clergy for a New Drug Policy. So it was just a a variety of people with a variety of perspectives, and I felt like it made for a really good, yet all coming from the same place of of faith generally, Christian faith generally, and then advocating for um, either uh, relaxed relaxed laws, decriminalization, uh, full legalization, um, talking through the issues of medical use versus all sorts of different things. So the, the conversation goes into a number of directions. So I'm going to start off with Jason. Jason Rink is a former pastor. He's on the board of directors of the Libertarian Christian Institute. He's also an award-winning producer of the documentary Nullification, The Rightful Remedy. He's also the author of the biography of former Congressman Ron Paul. Ron Paul, the father of the Tea Party, is, as people in Texas know him well. So Jason, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello. So yes, that's me. Um, I would like to really just come from a perspective of how I see this conversation in the context of American Christianity. So I think that uh, American Christians have rested on the fact that cannabis has been illegal for a long time. And so it's sort of been this position of saying, okay, well, it's illegal, therefore it's bad, or we won't use it, we won't do it, all of that sort of thing. But as that has begun to change, I think it's time for Christians to develop a logically consistent and biblical position on what cannabis is. Um, In this conversation, I think, uh, is a conversation about the law, about our stance around the law, about how, um, as followers of Jesus, um, what kind of tension we should have with the law and the state, number one. And then looking at, from a perspective of, if laws aren't moral, are they laws at all? So that that speaks a little bit to the work I did around the topic of nullification that was mentioned around the documentary. And I think that that is one thing that needs to be in the conversation is Christians coming to understand whether or not federal drug laws are constitutional or not, whether or not those laws should be done away with from a justice standpoint. So from the legality standpoint, really getting comfortable with that, then I think there's a morality dimension to it. So once you say, oh, something's legal, well, what does that say about it from a moral standpoint? And I think people fall in three camps. They tend to find 
they say, oh, it's, it's immoral in any use of cannabis. Or you've got some people who say, well, medical use is, is moral, that's okay, but recreational isn't. And then there's this stance I think you could have, which is that all cannabis use is one of Christian liberty, that it falls into the same category as anything else that uh, you would see in the Bible addressing something that impacts your judgment or awareness and figuring out how you need to navigate the use in your own life. So attached to that question, I think is a really important question, which is why did God make cannabis? And as you start getting into the science of all of this, you start to find out that there's an endocannabinoid system in the body that it could be really, really amazing that God might have made an amazing human body that interacts with a natural plant growing on the earth for a particular purpose. And so I think this conversation with Christians is important to have, have, have uh, Christians look at that. And then the question of love. Love your neighbor as yourself and love your enemy. And what stance around cannabis is congruent with mercy, compassion, and justice? Uh, how we as a society are treating nonviolent cannabis users. Uh, are we denying agency and access of mothers seeking relief for a child in a medical way or veterans seeking relief from PTSD? Um, and really, I think that love dimension is something that as Christians we really need to focus highly on. And, and I think it's really interesting. I think that, um, you know, uh, I don't know how much you see this on Facebook, but it's like, seems like in Christian circles, uh, there's a lot of people involved in like essential oils, MLMs, right? It's like, it, 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 I'm, I'm bombarded by it. And I really, you know, I, I love it. I love essential oils. I think they're to totally useful. And it's interesting because cannabis is like the forbidden essential oil in the conversation. So I think it's time that we bring that to the fore and have an open conversation about it. That's what I'd like to contribute to this conversation. Thank you. Jason, I have uh, I don't think I've ever heard a Christian explain the importance of wrestling with this position as eloquently as I just heard you do that in that conference. So I am <laughs> very proud that you were there representing LCI doing that, because I think a lot of people sort of uh, a lot of Christians who advocate for for the legality of cannabis, they may have some really, you know, good positions or whatever, but I think that's a very cohesive statement that you that you made there. And uh, thank you for making that, because that is certainly something that that people need to be able to to be able to promote and advocate and be able to kind of see that in a holistic fashion. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's great. Um, one of the things that I, you know, kind of thought of when I'm hearing you talk is like, you know, I can imagine the people listening to this episode of the podcast and think of it in sort of two ways, the personal use side of things and then the advocacy for its legality. And I know that a lot of Christian libertarians are like, oh, well, you know, I think it should be legal, but I would never do it. Uh, or, uh, yeah, I'll just never do that. And so there's a, that personal use thing, which I think if you set to the side, you kind of be like, okay, well then you just don't, don't do that. Don't, don't smoke pot or, um, but then there's the other side where 
Christians who are libertarians or liberty-loving Christians who wouldn't want to identify as libertarians, maybe because to be a libertarian means to advocate for drug use or advocate for the legality of things that they find immoral. And that can be sort of a, a prohibitive factor in becoming a libertarian. So there's a sort of like usage side and then the like advocacy side. And uh, I think the discussion that we're going to have here is going to help enlighten people a bit on how to talk about this topic uh, so that it doesn't so there's like not a stigma with with advocating for the legality of something like marijuana. Norman, I know you also had some other thoughts that we talked about. Yeah, there are at least oh golly, there's there's at least two or three points here that uh, I think they're so well put that they're worth mentioning in detail and over and over and over again to get the point across. Um, one, and like you said, is that there is this aspect of advocacy for Christians um, that the tension of, well, I don't want to affirm a certain, you know, a more a morality that I disagree with. Um, so I'm, I'm and so speaking from their perspective, I might be uh, hesitant to accept the libertarian position on on these sorts of things because it's doing something that I did, doing something that I do disagree with. Uh, but the, there's a difference, though, as we've noted you know, in many in many episodes, uh, between advocating for the for something on the basis of it being you know the right moral action versus saying that one should not be prevented from doing so by the government uh, or by other people ex exerting force against them um, because the act the action in and of itself is not an act of aggression, uh, and and that's that's really the key part about at least our position on legality itself. But but juxtaposed to that is what Jason then uh, proffered for us about what should our stance be in the question of love? Uh, what sort of stance uh, uh, toward this substance is, is uh, one that is representing mercy, compassion, and justice? That's and that is a the question of love in short, right? And that's and that's crucial to understand because what the legality question has behind it is a a stance that is completely anti-love uh, in that – and we didn't – you know, he didn't get into this, of course, but the history of, can of cannabis uh, prohibition is one that has involved within it uh, racism and prob I mean, problems of, of uh, all over the place of, uh, that, that just don't make any sense and are completely unchristian. Um, and and we, we have to recognize that that's the case and, and why this uh, prohibition came into, in, into the first place. Uh, and that's – you know, that that is uh, – that's antithetical to what we stand for as Christians with respect to love, uh, and you know, and from my own scientific point of view too, I really appreciated the way that that uh, Jason brings up. Well, what is what? Why did God create cannabis? Uh, God doesn't create things just for zero reason. It doesn't make that doesn't make sense. Uh, and so, you know, there's a, there's some really interesting things that because of prohibition we are not even permitted to ask about. And uh, and that's that's a you know in a, in a way that is a sort of screwing up the dominion mandate from from God Himself in the Book of Genesis is that our function in creation is to is is to cultivate and to do things um, that, that that create progress uh, in a good sense uh, that brings science forward and bring forward new products and uh, and and not being able to even consider uh, the use of cannabinoids. Uh, in so many respects, is really a deleterious thing. Uh, it's a this is not a good thing at all. And so, you know, losing sight of of these sorts of, uh, of aspects on the basis of the state told us no is a is just a real it's a real shame. 
and uh, and thus it's it's important to kind of uh, to to reframe and to recast these things in the way that Jason did in those just those few minutes there, uh, and so that's that that's a I think that's kind of all I wanted to kind of say at this point here. Jason, I already told you that you were very eloquent in what you said, but as you hear it again and reflect on, you know, you had the disadvantage of going first. Uh, there's an advantage there as well. But like, you know, sometimes you kind of bounce off ideas from from one another. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add uh, to what you said or any further thoughts on on how we've kind of taken this discussion? Well, really – the thing that really landed for me as I was preparing for this talk and that I really started thinking about and inquiring about my own stance on it was just the idea that I think the fact that cannabis has been illegal in the United States for as long as we've been alive and really the people in our generation are like the just say no generation. You know, it's like the drug war really got a lot of its teeth when I was growing up and in grade school. And so it's interesting because I think the the, the statement I made around how I think Christians are have essentially just been lazy about inquiring about what's right in this issue because it's been just illegal. It's been outlawed by the government. I think that's the thing I want to press into most is just to challenge people, hey, let's just take a step back. And consider some of these questions, uh, not rest on the fact that the government is, has outlawed it as a moral reason for it to be outlawed. And, um, you know, again, my background in having, you know, worked with the Tenth Amendment Center and made the movie on nullification, I've got a real soft spot in my heart for uh, the role that um, state nullification in the role in the in the marijuana issue has really been something that's opened up uh, really the conversation around, you know, federalism and how we can sort of work at these local and state levels to try to get some of these rights back. So anyway, I think it's important for Christians just to really um, examine these opinions anew in light of what's being discovered. You know, the irony here, too, is that you described it as, you know, Christians kind of being lazy and developing that theology. Uh, And I find it kind of ironic because, you know, as much as we want Want to say that our morality, our our theology, it all comes from the Bible, which is you know that's mostly true. But the irony in this particular instance is that we essentially have a theology of creation that is being handed down vehicle of the state, as opposed to questioning it and saying, "Wait a sec, is this for real?" To me, that's you know that's uh, that when you frame it in that respect, you realize, oh, well, the answer is obvious uh, that 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 the government doesn't have that authority to hand down that type of morality we have to we do have to question that especially when it's when it is so fuzzy potentially um but that's that's a you know that's an interesting point to kind of uh, mull upon well cool um well that's that's great i want to tee it up real quick for the next speaker who i just got to tell you i think this woman is a hero and i was really moved by what she had to say And she will do a great job of introducing who she is and how she's arrived at this issue. But she's going to share something really close to her heart that has to do with with being a mother and wrestling with her Christian faith and finding a a medicine that is forbidden, but that provides relief for 
you know, the child that God has given her to raise and to care for. So uh, the next speaker is Amy Lou Fawell, who is the co-founder and president of MAMA, Mothers Advocating Medical Marijuana for Autism. Um, so I, I'm going to jump off on what he said. Initially, we, we switched churches and went to this very small Southern Baptist, very very conservative church a couple years ago. And, and we thought, well, maybe we should tell the pastor what I do. And, uh, (laughs) so he's, he's a young man and, and, um, but very, very Southern Baptist conservative. And, um, so we just sat down and said, you know, we have this child with autism that you haven't met yet. And, um, and Amy is an advocate for medical cannabis. And he just said, you know, five years ago, I would not have, believed that that was a medicine, but I've seen how essential oils work, <laughs> and I believe that it's an oil, and, and, it, and it's medicine from a plant, and considering what else they were willing to give your kids, he knew that right, he just figured that out right away. Um, I think it's probably a good alternative, so um, I think there's a lot of enlightenment happening through the efforts of so many advocates that it's, this is an exciting time for us. So... To my story, I'm going to cry maybe more, more than once. I usually cry once and get it over with. But I don't know why God allowed my son to have autism. I do know that he loves Jack and has a plan for his life to offer him a future and a hope. God's plan for me apparently is to be Jack's mom. And that has changed me considerably. I'm much more humble, much more compassionate, and my... Husband is too, and my children, other children are as well. And to become a merciful person is to become a broken person. I stopped trying to fix Jack a long time ago, but I will always, always pray for complete healing, and I will always work as hard as I can to help him in the meantime. And what I want for Jack is to be happy. And I know that God does everything for a reason, because he loves us. But he also purposefully put THC in cannabis. And there's there's so much potential for a whole plant THC rescue remedy for children with autism who would um, have a tendency to rage, to be aggressive or self-injurious, or just meltdowns. And I've seen... Um, I've seen that rescue remedy or, or other rescue remedies, not a particular one, um, take a child from a rage within minutes to a calm, happy, giggly, or just sort of gazing at the clouds type mood. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think any Christians think that anything's wrong with that, but they just need to see it. Because I think if I wasn't in the autism world, and I could see a video, and, and the video that springs to mind is the man who has Parkinson's, and he opens the door, and he smokes, and then he's calm. If, a Christ, if every Christian in the world would watch that video, and of course not to mention the Kara Zartler video, and then the seizure videos out there, um, I think the world, I hope the world would be a better place for us and our kids. Um, I became aware of medical cannabis just searching for answers, as Jack said, and 
To be honest, cannabis was just one of the alternative interventions we've tried over the years. We've tried everything from voodoo to laying out of hands to, you know, <laughs> hyperbaric oxygen and probiotics, and everything that didn't work. And our overarching decision-making principle was to do no harm. First, do no harm. So medical cannabis was basically a no-brainer. Illegal? You know, let's fix that. God's laws trump man's laws. So obviously that's why Talia and I started Mama, because life is too hard to get in trouble for just trying to help your kid. This past year, my son went from difficult to care for to being terrifying to live with. I don't think you know this, Jax, but um, it can be unbearably dark to realize that nobody can help you. The government isn't going to step in. Money isn't going to do anything because therapists can't help. I can't walk away from my family. And um, it's tempting to think about ways to end the struggle. But as Jack got worse and worse, we prayed so hard for God to rescue us. We lived in the promises of the Psalms. We believed from Psalm 27 that we would look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And Jack, too. And God provided another place for my son to live. Um, my goal, seeing that he's gone, for the, it's short term. He's, it's a few years of respite, and we have to get our ducks in a row for what happens when he turns 22. But in short term, my goals are that his facility could use a rescue remedy so that on those bad days, they don't have to rely on a PRN that is a dangerous pharmaceutical. My next goal would be that we could bring him safely home for weekends, and we would need extra natural med medicinal support to do that, I believe. And in the future, it's simply to keep him off psychoactive um, pharmaceuticals, because what they call that, the psychotropic drugs, is inducing a chemical lobotomy. And that's not what Christians would want for my child. In conclusion, my, while God didn't, doesn't need cannabis to heal my son, he did give it to us to use as needed, and really nobody um, should have the right to take that away. Proverbs 31, just to summarize, is you know, that um, to give strong drink to those who are suffering, and I, I, I think that's close enough. Cannabis is medicine, and I know God is on our side. Thank you. Thank you, Amy Lou. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, in talking more with Amy Lou, um, you know, she's a she she would classify herself as a conservative Christian, lifelong Republican, six day creationist, pro Second Amendment, pro Tenth Amendment, pro Israel Christian. Right. So, I mean, so not exactly a hardcore libertarian. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, I, I I imagine that if I got into a conversation with her around a number of other ancillary issues, like we might find some areas of disagreement on it or whatever. So, you know, it's it's interesting. That's another reason for me that I, I really resonated with what she was up to, because I'm like, this is really out of the box for her. Um, it wasn't it wasn't easy for her to go here. And now she's finding herself in a position where she's you know, advocating for this and talking to other people who are a lot like her. Um, so, so yeah, so I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I think, um, 
the the question like I, I don't I don't have any experience with um, you know her son I think is 19 right now so she's been she's had an experience with an autistic son for a long time and I haven't had that kind of experience it's difficult for me to relate to that um, but I can understand this idea of feeling like something is really out of your hands. And I can relate to an experience of feeling like there's no help, no remedy, you've tried everything, and then you find something that creates some relief and it's forbidden. You know, that's an interesting, interesting position to be in. So I just honor her for coming, uh, standing forth for her convictions and like, you know, really having a priority of wanting to serve and heal her son in this situation. And for her, the way that aligns with her conscience is, is right. Um, so that's what I'd have to say about it. Who else has something to, to say? Where I would probably jump in here is that you know, she said a couple things that resonated with me is that first that where we've come in the past five years or so in the, in the world of Christendom is really pretty significant uh, where 10 or 15 years ago, even five years ago, the idea of legalization or even medical marijuana or can, cannabis, um, it, it was not just not accepted. We're like, we've come a long ways. Uh, be, and I think it's because of it's probably because of that the the stark contrast of prohibition to what could be possible. But I think it also should be kind of underscored here as well that, uh, and this isn't just a Christian problem, by the way. This is kind of the world at large. Uh, you know, we don't seem to understand often the world of pharma <laughs> and pharmaceuticals, and and there's so many misconceptions and uh, and issues with how people understand it. Uh, and and just you know, we're used to health. We understand health uh, pretty well. And until you start really kind of delving into some of these, you know, what happens when you, uh, you know, you have a kid with special needs, when you have a debilitating disease that is uh, that's chronic on some level, or you know, or once you have a family member, a close family member or a friend that's going through cancer or something to that effect, uh, you 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 learn real fast uh, at that point uh, what's available on the market and, and how those things work. Uh, I mean, look, I've got a PhD and I don't understand half of the stuff that is going on when a family member, uh, the close family member who has cancer, um, is what, what they're going through at the doctor's office these days. And like, that's significant. You know, the fact that I can't understand all of that, uh, just probably underscores how so many people don't understand it as well. And, uh, and so it's interesting that, you know, her experience of discovery, uh, of something that actually does help and then to, to have determined for her that it is forbidden on what basis? Well, it's a, it's a, it's a plant that we disapprove of, uh, is, uh, you know, that that's tough. And, uh, and I've seen this in other people as well. And I've, you know, seen people, uh, with, uh, who have, uh, uh various kinds of, of chronic illnesses of some kind, what, what, uh, you know, that, that where cannabis or cannabinoids could potentially help them based on research that I've seen. And their resistance to to even approaching that research is significant. That's becoming that's being pushed back upon by this legalization effort, and I and that's significant. And, and yeah, so what they're doing at Mama is is heroic, and uh, we can be appreciative of that. Hey, folks, Norman Horn here from LCI. 
Would you do us a quick favor and rank us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to us? High rankings help us get the word out. And now let's get back to the show. So the next speaker is uh, Pastor Rick Sitton, who's the senior pastor of the First United Methodist Church of Bryan, Texas. And his story is similar in that he has a special needs son uh, with uh, who's on the autism spectrum, uh, but he's a senior pastor of a Methodist church. So he's coming at this from the perspective of being somebody in vocational ministry and being a, a, a clergy member. So uh, Rick really also, um, I, I just can't say enough good things about the people on this panel. I think they did a great job of picking some representatives to speak to this issue. So uh, we're going to go ahead and play Rick right now, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about that. Good afternoon. I want to begin letting you know about a little bit about the difference or distinctives of what a Methodist is. We have three general rules of for over 200 years. One is do all the good you can. Second is do no harm. The third is stay in love with God. And to do that, you have to love people and you do the things to help you do that. So over the 30 years of ministry, I've encountered a lot of members of the church from Danny, who was a Vietnam vet, amputee, suffered horribly, no help. Everything he tried, no help. To people who have cancer in the church that's terminal and all the drugs that they're, they're given really often makes it worse. I could tell you story after story as a pastor of people who would cry out and they really had no alternative because anything they tried uh, didn't work and they didn't have the freedom to try something else. So um, a couple of years ago, one of the church members uh, who's here today, Judge Delaney, talked to me about this issue and gave me information that I desperately needed that really helped me because I think I'm a pretty typical person. I, I'm just going on through life on a journey and trying to do the best I can. And then 10 years ago, my wife and I um, began to raise our grandson from the day he was born. His name's Jacob. When you do that with children, you never know what's going to happen. You just assume the best. But Jacob turned out at 18 months to have been diagnosed with autism. Instead of playing with toys, he would line them up in a line. Instead of reading a book, he would simply turn the pages and then turn them back and then turn the pages and then turn them back. And this repetitive disorder was alarming, so we had him diagnosed. Jacob also turns out he has a praxis of speech, which is a, a term that experts know about. But for you and I as lay people, he's mute. He can't form the sounds in order to make the sounds that you need to make for speech. So his vocabulary is a handful of words. And he communicates through an iPad and an app. And he's amazing that he can do that, but it's very functional communication. He doesn't understand emotion. He has uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, he has stimming that is almost constant, rocking back and forth. Uh, there, there, there are things in Jacob that you can see that just you just wish they could come out. And he doesn't have that opportunity because we have laws that prevent us from being able to make decisions for his best interest. So I wanna talk about 
something at the same time I learned a few years ago that has to do with liberty. Read a really great book by Dr. Uh, Tony Evans, who's a pastor in the Dallas area Urban Institute. In the book, he talked about the levels of government that God created, just like God created cannabis. God's created levels of government. The very first level is self-government. And no government ought to be able to tell you what you're going to do with yourself. That's your stewardship between you and God on what you do with your body, what you put in your body, how you care for your body. And when the government gets involved to be able to tell you what you can do with your body, it's taken an enormous amount of power from you. This country was founded on liberty. It's one of the most unique countries in the history of the world. And we need our liberty back, and that's what I try to preach. We need the liberty to make a decision on what we think is in the best interest of someone that we love. Because I really don't know what the answers are going to be for Jacob. Jacob is not self-injurious. However, he's going through puberty at age 10. He actually started at age 8. My wife has to shave him now every other day. He is beginning to display alarming behaviors that are different. And that's what happens in this growing up stage. You don't know what's going to happen in a month or a year. And so you live by faith every day and you try to get by. I'm also here because of, of God's miracles. I, I'm, I count Judge Delaney as part of that. But when I first moved to Bryan, Texas, we had been in a custody battle over Jacob, which took many years, and rarely do grandparents win, but we won by the grace of God because we were doing everything we can to help him. We felt like that's our calling. The first teacher Jacob had was a, a lady by the name of Nancy, and it turns out that uh, she had a son named Matt who had severe uh, just severe problems due to low syndrome. Matt's father's here today. He's another member of the church. Tom, you want to wave? Matt passed away at age 20. He had severe seizures. And we don't know what could have happened if he was allowed to use medical cannabis, if his life could have been extended, or if his pain would have been alleviated. But he was in severe pain. And Tom can share that story with you. I think I'm here today to be an advocate for people who don't have a voice because Jacob can't talk. There's a lot of people that can't talk and they need people that will talk for them and, and cry out for them. And there's a lot of people here that are there. Y'all are here because of that. You're here to cry out for people who can't and they have to have an advocate. And as a Christian, I know that um, my advocate is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's my advocate every day. And my hope is that as we continue to do everything we can, one day the tide's going to turn and people will not have the fear of doing something that makes them appear to be a criminal when in fact they're just simply doing what's in the best interest as best they know to take care of and love the person that God's entrusted them to love. Thanks. You know, the first thing that strikes me about what he was saying and his story about that and 
you know, kind of advocating for people who don't, who literally don't have a voice, uh, or for people who are unable to find a political voice in that sort of sense is that sometimes advocating for liberty is not about advocating for our own liberty. You know, we libertarians are often characterized as selfish and it's all about our own, you know, personal freedom to do whatever we want, you know, for the libertines, uh, you know, that's kind of their their way of like looking at us, oh, I just want to do it however I want. I just want to do whatever I want. I don't want anybody to stop me, especially the state. And, uh, and, and that's a caricature, of course. But I think for, for the Libertarian Christian Institute, we advocate for liberty for a, a whole number of reasons. And one of them is that it benefits other people doesn't just benefit us. It doesn't just have benefit for us. Uh, somebody as a libertarian who thinks about uh, liberty, I came to it from a spot where I was thinking, well, how do we as a society care best for the poor? And libertarianism uh, fit the, the kind of thing that I was kind of studying in theology. And so for me, it was about other people. And this is certainly a story that illustrates how if you talk about why it's important to be an advocate for the use of, of at the very least, medical marijuana, what you what you conjure up is images of of people. If you're having this kind of debate with other Christians who might not be, you know, in, who may not agree with you or whatever, and they might still have reservations about it, uh, by telling them these kinds of stories, especially if they're from personal experience, you get them to kind of realize that this is a real situation. This isn't just some far off group of people who have to make this decision about what other people are allowed to do. Yeah, and I I think that's a great point, and it's it's something that I see as you know, on us as the Christian, it's, it's on us from the Christian perspective, you know, like, yeah, libertarians many times are painted as self-interested individuals, like you said, but as Christians, we are called to advocate for the, you know, downtrodden, for those that are marginalized, for those don't, who don't have a voice. And so I really think where, uh, Pastor Sitton went with that. I, I think that's something to consider, and it's a, it's something to consider overall uh, as something to motivate us and to activate us as libertarian Christians to see what we're up to in wanting to see liberty expanded for the greatest number of people and for human flourishing to happen for the greatest number of people, that there's a spiritual calling to that, that there's something in that that is of the gospel. Um, I think it's just a great reminder. I feel like there's a, you know, there's a verse that kind of encapsulates what uh, what we're trying to say here and what Pastor Sitton is trying to say, and that's Philippians chapter 2, verse 4. To paraphrase, it just says, you know, don't just look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. And that's that's literally what the command, what, what Paul exhorts us to do. And that is what Pastor Sitton is talking about. Uh, there's really nothing more to say there. I mean, what else is the, What else could you add to such a, these powerful stories about, you know, uh, frankly, people who who most of us in the United States have no idea what it's like to be those people or to be the caretakers of those types of special needs individuals and whatnot. Uh, that, that's, that's tough. And, uh, and so you have to respect that. Well, great. Well, listen, we've got one last panelist and I really love this guy. Uh, Reverend Al Sharp is the executive director of clergy for a new drug policy, uh, an organization I wasn't even aware existed. 
And what I really like about the focus of this organization is it seeks to influence those who have influence within the church. It seeks to educate and, you know, bring clergy into the fold of wanting to see how drug policies can be reformed. Um, And he's got a real heart for uh, the mercy, justice, love dimension of this that motivates what he's up to. So I really love the, the perspective that uh, Reverend Sharp has, and uh, I think you will too. Uh, is this on? Can you hear probably? Uh, the group I had now merges from the various parts that uh, Jack's mentioned. Uh, it's called Clergy for a New Drug Policy. It brings together so much of what you've heard about political activism, and I believe the gospel is social, not just personal, uh, but also the uh, faith-based dimensions that is are reflected in the so moving, uh, tragic, but I would say as a Christian, ultimately redeemed or redeemable stories uh, represented by the stories this morning, the experiences this morning, and then on this panel. Just very quickly, how we work, only because I hope maybe you will help. Uh, we're small, hearty little band. I'm based in Chicago, but uh, I travel to states that are uh, helping to push back the war on drugs. Our mantra is health, not punishment, mobilizing clergy nationally to end the war on drugs and seek a health, not punishment paradigm to drug policy. Now, marijuana is central to that because marijuana is the gateway to the war on drugs. We're freezing all the discussions we might have on all the other changes that need to happen, really decriminalizing all drugs drugs, changing mandatory minimums, uh, uh, diverting people to treatment, not uh, not punishment, uh, because we're, we're bogged down in this marijuana debate. Uh, let me, so we reach out nationally, I travel, we uh, uh, are in touch with people in all 50 states, I invest very heavily in social media, uh, and I'm going to come a little bit more later in my comments to uh, the fact that clergy really can make a difference uh, in ending the war on drugs and certainly in passing uh, medical marijuana. How many of you ever have heard of the Michelle Alexander in the book, The New Jim Crow? Uh, that's a fairly small number. I have to remember that I'm in a red state. Uh, she says that uh, the war on drugs is the third Jim Crow in this country. Uh, she wrote this book in 2010. The first Jim Crow, of course, was slavery. The second Jim Crow uh, was the Jim Crow laws passed after the Civil War. The uh, Jim Crow now is the, the war on drugs. And the problem especially is that it's colorblind. We don't think we live in a Jim Crow world anymore. I mention that because that's how clergy have really become engaged even in legalizing marijuana. And that's how I became uh, engaged in the whole drug policy area, is I wanted to end the mass incarceration that she talks about and has made so prominent in the justice discussions uh, in this country. I got involved in medical marijuana as a wedge issue. I'll be the first to admit that. I was in Illinois, am in Illinois, and I wanted to change all the drug laws that are so repressive. But you couldn't even talk about marijuana in Illinois unless you talked about medical marijuana. So I took it on as a wedge issue to open up all these other issues. 
I will be the first to tell you that after I'd been involved uh, for about a month, took maybe even less than that, it, it became all-encompassing. If my life had stopped uh, after we'd passed medical marijuana in Illinois, I would have been more than a happy man because uh, I met people who uh, have been talked about here, people suffering. I, I didn't had no concept even of chronic pain, pain you can't ever get away from until I really became involved in the medical marijuana issue. Uh, I'm here having fought the battle for medical marijuana in Illinois for three years, and it was being fought long before I got involved, to give you another Christian concept, which is the concept of hope. This is going to happen, folks. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Uh, you just got to have the perseverance to stay with it. And the reason it's going to happen isn't because of all the policy stories. I can tell you the lousy policy arguments uh, that I, the good policy arguments I made that got refuted for lousy reasons, uh, because the policy arguments don't have the persuasive powers. It's the, I can't tell you how many times people said, well, we can't prove medical marijuana. It hasn't been approved by the uh, Food and Drug Administration. Well, why hasn't it? Because the federal government uh, that makes research possible, that the FDA says they want, repress research, as we well know. One reason uh, there are less people in this hearing than the other one is because you're hearing about all the barriers to, to federal research. That didn't, I, I'd make that argument, that didn't persuade people. What did persuade people are the individual stories. Uh, we, it took us three years to get six or seven votes, uh, the final votes that would put us over the top. And uh, again, it is because it took that long to get six or seven legislators that weren't with us to realize that they knew a family member, they knew a friend who would have been benefited enormously by medical marijuana. I was, I, I couldn't be in Springfield the day the vote was taken, but I was sitting in my office streaming the, the debate. Tears were coming down my, my face. Uh, and my own state senator uh, got up and said, my father's life as he was dying from cancer would have been dramatically different if we had had medical marijuana and tears were coming down his face and that's why it's passed. It's gonna pass here uh, for exactly the, the same reason. You might wonder, and this may be helpful to you, uh, one of the arguments we got was, of course, and we've heard this elsewhere, well, this, you're just the uh, Trojan horse for legalization. And I, I used to ask myself, now, if I were asked, uh, how do I feel about legalization, what would I say? And incidentally, I never was asked, but the answer I would have said uh, is, uh, I am for legalization, uh, ultimately, but you need to know that when the debate about legalization happens, it's gonna be a ferocious debate. Let's respect democracy enough to realize that the, the democratic process does work and not push back something that is so valuable in and of itself because you were afraid of uh, legalization when it's gonna be a major public battle uh, before that happens. So let's, let's respect that process. Uh, do I have a little more time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think it's reasonable to ask the question, why clergy? Uh, in this whole issue. What's distinctive about clergy voices? And uh, the Reverend has, has obviously made the, the, the basic case. Um, uh, and I will, I will say, I make the same point in a slightly different way, but I'll first say, I have, you guys ought to be using clergy much more. I have found that with mainline pastors, and I realize I'm not in a state where there might be as, not as many, quote, mainline pastors uh, uh, as, as there are in Illinois, for example, uh, but mainline pastors get medical real fast. It's a progression. Almost any pastor I talked to signed up to support me in Springfield, state capital of Illinois, on medical. 
even decrim because of the mass incarceration arguments and clergy are uh, for justice and against mass incarceration and all the mindless uh, repressive drug laws that we have. I didn't find it very hard. Legalization uh, is harder. But uh, on medical, the mainline folks are with you. Now, we're in a state where there are more evangelicals uh, uh, here than there are in Illinois, but go after the evangelicals, reach out to them. Um, the, the pastor has the message and we also heard it this morning. The real Christian message is about love and compassion. The Jesus I know was a Jesus of mercy and forgiveness and healing. The evangelicals have to believe that, uh, but they're so worried about their own salvation and about an angry God and whether they're going to live properly and, and get into the next world that they lose sight of the fact that that's not Jesus. That's not what Jesus was telling them. Jesus was was again. Uh, the living representation of God on this earth, uh, teaching that God loves us all and calls us to love each other. First uh, Corinthians, after you get past the first Corinthians 13th, the very next words are, make love your aim. And medical marijuana is bringing uh, the compassion and healing and indeed the love uh, of those who God loves uh, to this world. Uh, I wrote a, uh, when I speak about the evangelicals, uh, as you know, Oklahoma has just, uh, because of a ballot initiative, legalized medical marijuana. And I wrote an op-ed uh, on uh, reaching out to the evangelicals and frankly called them out. And I said, and, and uh, there was a Presbyterian minister is in Oklahoma City uh, who signed the op-ed. It was published in the Oklahoman. It got 11,000 shares. Uh, because I think it really did reach the hearts and minds of a number of people uh, uh, in the area where evangelicals, and I, I actually called them hypocritical in this piece. It wasn't accusatory, but I did say, you know, there were very few things that made Jesus angry. But he had a constant battle. The people that made him angry were the Pharisees. And why did the Pharisees make him angry? Because of hypocrisy. And what is the hypocrisy? It was because they worshiped form over substance. The substance of cannabis is it helps people. The form of, of uh, opposition is, is a kind of a mindless adherence to the rules that have been sent down uh, that govern our behavior. So uh, uh, let's talk about the, the best. Let's talk about the best of Christianity. And I think the best of evangelical minds uh, and hearts can be reached if, if we make that argument in the right way. Uh, I've taken uh, a fair amount of time, uh, but I will. Uh, say one other thing about why clergy should be involved, not just in medical cannabis, but in the legalization of cannabis. Uh, they're all the policy arguments that should appeal to clergy about legalization. Taking the black market out, we're worried, and perhaps more worried about than anybody else, about the health and safety of our kids. They're not gonna be healthy and safe. They can all get marijuana, uh, but if you can label it, if you can regulate it, they're gonna be a heck of a lot safer, and they're not gonna be exposed to people that are uh, trying to move them into the harder drugs. Nobody asks the name of, uh, uh, of kids who are, uh, you know, that they're selling to if you're doing it in the black market. So kids are gonna be healthier and safer and clergy care about that. But there's another thing that people don't quite realize as much, and that is I don't think uh, kids believe us right now when we talk to them about marijuana. And if you wanna reach the hearts and minds of our kids, you've gotta tell them the truth. And you're not telling them the truth when you say marijuana ought to be prohibited. They tune you out. Well, if we're entrusted with the hearts and minds of kids, we've got to talk to them in a way that they can believe. And I think the way they will believe uh, is to say, look, 
It's legal, it's out there, you shouldn't use it until you're 21, uh, but we're being honest about what we did and we're being talking straight with you about the dangers, but we're not pretending that it's bad for everybody because no uh, sentient child that really believes that. So those are the reasons I think the clergy can be involved. I think you've got a potential for great involvement of clergy in Texas and ultimately the message is hope, it's gonna happen. Thank you. So a couple of things stand out to me in what Reverend Sharp said. Uh, one of them is, you know, he's coming at this from an angle of, you know, mass incarceration and wanting to end that. And there's the social aspect. He's coming from a more mainline uh, blue state type approach. Um, and what's interesting is he... So he's wanting to impact policy uh, in the process. And yet what he says is that, you know, it's the individual stories that have the greatest impact in making a difference in moving this this debate forward. That, I think, is something to really consider overall in our approach to moving the ball forward in, in liberty, frankly. Like one of the things that I think is really held back. I think I think as libertarians, we've had a lot of the right data. We we're right. Our economic policies are right. Like we just have a lot of being right about about what we stand for and and it and it occurs to us as right. And yet the data and the facts um really just aren't what make people change their minds about things. Like it's the human dimension. So I think that's something to really remember in this entire argument, and I think that's interesting. an interesting point he brings up in it. Um, another point that he brings up is he really makes the distinction between the medical issue, um, the decriminalization issue, and the legalization issue. And those are actually all three different dimensions of what needs to change in marijuana policy. And frankly, um, as Christians, I think we can land in, in different places or we can find ourselves becoming uncomfortable in some of those discussions, some people might, where we've addressed earlier, you know, oh, with medical, okay, great, but I don't know if we should decriminalize – I don't know if we should legalize it all. Maybe we're just going to decriminalize it so people aren't getting thrown in jail, but we're still going to have some level of, you know, a fine or what have you. And there – the, the point of all of this is that in moving the ball forward on this issue as it relates to liberty, mercy, and justice, uh, we don't have to see the ball moved forward on all fronts at the same time. Uh, there's a lot of really strategic uh, thinking that needs to come into play. Every state is going to be different. Every culture is going to be different. And so I just think it's it's interesting to as we find and examine our own positions on this issue, it's important to recognize that there's distinctions to be made around how it might become legal, how the laws might change. Um, there's distinctions to be made around that, and there's arguments to support each and every one of those, and they're distinct from one another. To follow up on what Jason was just saying there, too, you know, the, going back to those personal stories is really, really important. 
Um, but one of, one of the things I, I do want to kind of point out there is that is to encourage each and every one of our listeners here that that there there are these two dimensions when we're gunning for arguments about liberty, and those are the the rational pieces, uh, the the making of a good economic and uh, argument, a good ethical argument, and whatnot. And then there are those personal stories. And what what this reverend was saying, which I agree that those personal stories are super powerful uh, and are and are really really important for convincing people uh, and showing them that side of of the issue that they perhaps never saw before, uh, that that touches them in a way that the reason that the reasonable argument may not all the time. Uh, it I, I feel like that this underscores to us the importance of knowing how to be persuasive on both of the fronts. Because yes, it is true that we do need to understand uh, all of those rational arguments really well. And we do need to have those personal stories and those, those dare we say, emotional reasons to, to, uh, to argue for liberty uh, in, those, in those particular ways. And I, I guess what I want to throw out here is that don't let either one of uh, – don't let yourself go to pendulum swing one to the, to the other. Gird up you know, your, your mind with everything on both sides. Uh, let, me, let, it, let this be an, an, uh, an issue to encourage you to get on both of those horses and run with all, with all speed. And, and don't ignore one over the other. And, uh, and, and really that's, that is the art of rhetoric. That is how we, you know, how we convince people is knowing how to utilize both of these method methods, if you will, the rational and the emotional, to appeal to people and persuade them of the rightness and justness and mercifulness of your cause in this in this case. Yeah, that's great, and you know, I I think well said. And the idea is, I think I think it's just really important to remember that, like, you know, liberty or the lack thereof impacts real human beings, (laughs) you know, like that's, that's what we're in this for. That's what it's all about. Yeah. And and real human beings are the ones communicating how something can be different. Yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me, you know, back in the, back in the day of being a student, uh, my, my good buddy, Jim Lark, who's a professor at uh, university of Virginia, um, who, who would come to Austin and, and speak with us students every once in a while. And one of the things he'd say was, you know, you, you could, when you're making an argument about Liberty to someone, uh, in the background, of that argument, the person that you're talking to is going to be inwardly asking, like, what kind of person is telling me this? Is this a person that I would like to be like? Is this a good person? Is the society that you envision going to be a good society? Those are those are both rational and emotional questions that have and, and your communication of those values in that way is is how they're going to answer that question. And remembering that is, is also important is that that your communication of that the, those senses of justice, mercy, and love uh, is just as important as the rational argument. So don't ignore any of that. Uh, make the rational argument. Make the emotional argument. Show that you're a virtuous person. That'll make the difference. Well, Jason, I just wanted to thank you for going on behalf of LCI to be part of a panel that is such an important discussion and for joining us on this episode to kind of you know elaborate and go further with, with that discussion. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Don't for, be a stranger, man. <laughs> hey, man, I'll come on the show to talk about weed anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was high time for you to get get on this show again, anyway. So, <laughs> any yes. any any more puns we want to throw out there before we wrap this up? <laughs> I'm all out, man. It, what time is it now? Is it is it is it 4:20 yet? Is it yeah, no, far, far from <laughs> okay. it. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, it was good joining you guys. And uh, I appreciate the conversation was was great. And, um, you know, look forward to any 
any feedback uh, or reactions that listeners might have to this um, and, you know, would be would be interested to know if if uh, listeners are interested in us getting more uh, guests on to explore this issue, um, the faith intersection of faith and cannabis um, in a deeper way. Yeah. So podcast.libertarianchristians.com. You can email us there. And I will just note that on the show notes page of this episode, we will have an audio that we spliced in uh, between the clips of us discussing this episode. And there was kind of a QA and uh, a that we did not fit into this episode. So uh, listeners, you can you can go and download that at our show notes page. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Thank you.